If you could stand with me for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32 to the end of the chapter, it says this. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your grace this morning. I pray that you would stir our affections from these two healing stories that we get here in the book of Acts. I pray that you would teach us and show us how this applies to our own lives and situations. Lord, and uh, I also pray this morning, just as we see the rise of COVID in our country and in our community, Father, that you would protect those who are working in the hospitals. God, that you would give strength and stamina to the doctors and nurses who are navigating this pandemic more intimately than anyone else in our community on a daily basis. I pray that you would give them wisdom as they make decisions. And God, just a a sense of peace in the midst of a storm. Uh, Lord, we just pray for strength there and pray for encouragement. Lord, we love you. Uh, Again, thank you for your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. So for the last few weeks, Luke, who's the writer of Acts, has been taking us through a lot of information about Paul. And so we have gotten the story of Paul who was also called Saul, and the persecution that he initiated towards the early church. Then we got the story of his conversion on the road to Damascus. And then we got the picture of the early church's response to Paul the persecutor's conversion. And it wasn't awesome across the board, right? And so we've been through that. And now today it's like Luke puts all of that on hold to take us back to the story of the early church and what's going on with the early believers, specifically what's going on with Peter here. And what he tells us is that in this text, Peter went first to Lydda and then to Joppa. And if you look at this on a map, Lydda is a stop between Joppa, Joppa being a seaport in Jerusalem, and Lydda is right in the middle. And so if you look at it on a map, it looks like Peter has just made a beeline for the sea. Okay, and in these two stories and in these two communities that Luke tells us about, there are two healing stories that he walks us through. 
as Peter, I loved how he said it, went here and there among these scattered believers, okay? And so this morning, simply what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things that we see from these two healings, okay? And the three things are this. First, we're going to look at the impact of the healing on the healed. Second, we're going to look at the impact of the healed on the community. And then finally, we'll look at Peter's view of healings in general, okay? So first, the impact of that healing on the healed. Back, in, as I said, in 2014, we planted the well here in Abilene, Texas. And I made the decision back then to take the first year and a half of our time as a church to preach through the gospel of Mark. And man, if you have read through Mark, what you will see is there are a lot of miraculous healings, just like in every other gospel, but in Mark specifically, there are a lot of miraculous healings that Jesus does for hurting people in that book. And throughout that, what you're going to see is that he heals, he casts out demons and he cleanses lepers and heals paralytics and unwithers a guy's hand. He gives hearing to the deaf and sight to the blind. And he does it in dramatic fashion. But there is one story in all of those miraculous healings that sticks out from the rest of them. And it's the story of the healing of blind Bartimaeus. Okay? And the interesting thing about this is that Jesus heals other blind people. And he does it in much more dramatic fashion than he does with Bartimaeus. But the thing that makes the healing of Bartimaeus stick out from all of the other miraculous stories is that he is the only healed person in the book of Mark that we actually are given the name of. If you read through the rest of that book, you will notice that every other healed person is identified by the thing that was wrong with them. They're identified as the leper or the demon possessed or simply the man with the withered hand. Okay, Bartimaeus is the only one that we're actually given his name. And the most logical explanation for this is that after his healing, it's likely that Bartimaeus actually became a disciple of Jesus. Whereas these other nameless people were healed, and I'm confident that they were pumped about their healing. I mean, their life had been transformed and changed. But where we see them being excited about their healing, Bartimaeus was healed. And in the process of receiving his physical sight also received a spiritual sight to see Jesus as more beautiful than anything. Okay? And whereas everyone else, I believe, the nameless faces of people that were healed, I think that they were impacted in such a way that they were physically healed, but they were not spiritually transformed. See, and so we know Bartimaeus's name because he was in the early community of believers. Bartimaeus was likely one of the 120 in Acts chapter 1 that were in the upper room waiting for the Spirit to show up. Acts chapter 2 gets filled with the Spirit and goes about preaching the gospel to the masses. He's likely one that was scattered with the persecution of Paul and is likely one of those people that now has been dispersed to other parts of the known world around Jerusalem that Peter is going here and there connecting with. See, and I thought about the story of Bartimaeus in light of the stories that we're given here today simply because of the level of detail that Luke gives us about these people. He tells us where they're from. He gives us the details of their sickness. We know their name according to Dorcas. We know her name in two different languages. 
And what this would indicate to me is that these were people that were in the early community of faith. They were connected to the church. And so Luke would be able to go and get the story of these healings straight from the source of Aeneas and Dorcas. Okay, now another aspect about healings in the New Testament, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, is that these healings can really be seen as metaphors for our own spiritual state. So in the same way in Mark, how there were many people who had these positive interactions with Jesus, interactions that had substantial impact on their life because they had been healed of some ailment. But those interactions ultimately for most did not lead to them becoming disciples of Jesus. So again, they had been physically healed, but they were not spiritually transformed. And I think the same thing is true in our time. Like we have many people who have a lot of interaction with Christian things. Maybe you grew up in the Christian faith and you spent your entire life showing up at a building somewhere where people sang music and talked about the Bible. Maybe you've gone to Christian schools and so you've had an endless amount of surface area and interaction with the things of Christ. But even according to Matthew 721 and other places, what we're told is that simple interaction with the things of Christ is not what makes you a Christian. And so in the same way, there will be people, we're told in the church, who have a lot of surface area with Jesus, have had their lives impacted maybe at points by his stories, but have not been spiritually transformed. People who have a positive impression of Jesus, but are not ultimately his disciples. And so just like that nameless leper and demon oppressed person in Mark, those people will continue to be identified by their faults and their failures and their brokenness rather than what you get in Christ, which is being given a new name, being adopted into a brand new family and given a new, totally different definition, which is as a perfect child of God. See, again, I think we have this misnomer, especially in kind of Bible Belt context, where we believe that you're a Christian just because you show up at certain places and you've learned a certain code and you have a certain kind of culture that you swim in and live in and can navigate. But what scripture tells us is that to be a Christian at its most basic level is to have a relationship with the God of the universe that happens only through Jesus Christ. And so to be a Christian is to be spiritually transformed, to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's a relationship at its core component, not just a new rhythm that you walk in. And so again, I think like the the nameless faces in Mark, there will be people that have positive impacts or positive feelings about Jesus, but have not been spiritually transformed. And what we know to be true out of scripture is that that relationship with God through Jesus Christ is available to all. And so if you're sitting in this room right now and you're like, man, I am hearing what this guy is saying. And I think I might be that person who has navigated the waters of Christian things for a long time, but don't feel like I have a relationship with Jesus. Then man, I would love to sit down and get some coffee with you. Okay, you can email pastors at thewellabilene.com and we will set up a time. Okay, but this is about a relationship with the God of the universe. And so what we see here first 
is that impact of the healing on the healed. And from a physical sense, Annius can walk and Dorcas is no longer dead. But more than that, we see that they now have been spiritually transformed. They have a name. They have a family. They have a new definition that is Christ. And I am confident that were you to ask these two years down the line from their healing, they would view that physical healing as a far secondary blessing to their spiritual transformation. Okay? The same is true of us today. To be a follower of Jesus is to have your heart changed and unveiled. It's a spiritual reality. Okay? Impact of the healing on the healed. Next, I want us to look at the impact of the healed on the community. Earlier this week, and we don't do this every week, but we do some weeks, I sat down with my wife and had her read through this passage first because she is um, smarter than I am. She's a better leader than I am. She has much more earning potential than I do, and she is far more attractive than I am. And so I felt like that really helped out and was going to give me some more context for this passage. And the first thing that Catherine said as she read through this text, I thought was awesome. And this is what she pointed out. She said, it is crazy to think about the quietness of Annius and Dorcas. And how these are people that, apart from this biblical story, would have died nameless and obscure lives that no one ever would have heard of them, except for the story in the Bible. And I just, I thought about that so much this week and thought about like the idea of someone in the first century walking up to Annius years into his paralysis, living in this little dirt town of Lydda that no one's ever heard of and nobody cares about, and looking at him on that mat and saying, listen, ma'am, 2,000 years from now, people all over the world are going to know your name and they're going to be encouraged by your story. Like, man, there have been rulers and warriors that have had massive impacts in their day, have been unbelievably wealthy, have had all sorts of civic duties in the place that they live, and they have died without ever making it into a history book. And yet, here Annius the paralytic, 2,000 years later, we're sitting here talking about. And the same for Dorcas, who has the most unfortunate name in the Bible, Right? But this woman who is a widow living in this seaport making, I mean, she's a quilter. She's making tunics and things like that for other widows in her community. She's charitable and she's generous and she sounds wonderful. But without this transformation that happened through Peter because of Jesus, we would never hear about Dorcas. And yet, here's what blew my mind as I thought about it. These two quiet obscure people were used by the Lord to bring revivals to their communities that would rival anything that any of us have seen in our lifetime. I mean, look at verse 35. It says, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw Annius and they turned to the Lord. And man, I don't know if this is exaggeration or not, but Good grief. I mean, there's something about this man's transformation that has caused all the residents of this community to see the goodness of God and the transformation of this man. And it's caused them to turn and profess Jesus as Lord. And then you've got Dorcas here in verse 42 with her being raised from the dead. And it says, and this became known through all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. 
So you have these mass revivals that are happening in these communities because of these transformed, nameless people. And it just caused me to think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he's talking about the functioning of the body and how as the church, we are the body of Christ and every single part and member of the body are equally valuable for the functioning of the church. And so there is no JV part of the body. Every single aspect, every nook, every cranny, every piece of the church is needed and valuable for its operation. And the problem is in our time and where we are today in our celebrity culture, we have this tendency to believe that the only people that hold actual value in the church are the people who are visible and vocal and stand on stage and talk to people. And what that does, I was thinking about this this week. I think this causes us to forget something that JR talked about last week, which is that salvation ultimately belongs to the Lord. And when we start to think that the only parts of the body that have value are the vocal and the visible ones, what we're saying in that is that God needs us to be articulate and to have cute personalities and to talk from a stage in order for him to bring salvation to the masses. And what this story reminds us of with Aeneas and Dorcas is that God can literally use the most quiet and the most insignificant among us to bring mass revival to communities, to see their transformation and what God has done in these two has brought salvation to the masses. And y'all, the same is true of us today. And I think this reminds us in this text that if you are sitting in this room today and feeling like you are that unvaluable member of the body, that you have nothing to give, nothing to contribute to the body of Christ, you need to be encouraged by Aeneas and Dorcas because it shows us that God can use anybody to bring salvation to himself. He can use even the most quiet among us to bring mass salvation to communities. Okay? So first thing we got is the impact of the healing on the healed. Second, we get the impact of the healed on the community. I lost my space here. And the third thing I want us to look at is Peter's view of healing in general. Now, man, the first time I read this passage was last week, and it was in between services as J.R. was preaching. And there was one verse that stood out to me that I couldn't stop thinking about this week. Okay, and it's verse 34, and it says this. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. (laughs) Man, I, I was actually really offended for Aeneas the first time I read this. Because you could read it in such a way as it's like Peter coming to this paralytic guy in Lydda and saying, hey man, Jesus Christ heals you. And by the way, you're kind of disgusting, okay? Like your space is like a dumpster fire. You need to, now that you can walk, maybe stand up and make your stinking bed because I am grossed out by you, right? Like there's kind of that thing, like you could read it in that regard. You don't think it's funny. I thought it was funny. That's okay. I'm not even offended by it, right? But the more I thought about what was going on in this text, I think it shows us something about how Peter views healings and transformation in general. See, I think there is this subtle acknowledgement from Peter here telling us that personal transformation 
doesn't stop with the person who's been transformed. And instead, that transformation extends even to the environments that that changed person lives in. Okay, said another way, I think this shows that when a person has been transformed and changed, they're going to get passionate about seeing transformation happen in this world. Because even transformation of physical environments serves as a metaphor for the gospel. Okay? As an example, building across the street. Okay? We were given that building, and actually this building as well, four years ago. Four years ago, that building had been on the market for five years. It had gotten a couple offers over the years, and the only thing people wanted to do with it was bulldoze it and make it into parking. That building was so nasty, so disgusting, so unusable that people's best opportunity to use that space was going to be to tear it down and put cars on it, right? I mean, nobody, the city of Abilene had turned their back on this building. And this one as well. I mean, this building was disgusting. I mean, there was like a pile of nastiness in that corner over there. So you're welcome that I like, I couldn't even get close to without dry heaving. I mean, these spaces were disgusting. Okay. And man, the building across the street and this one also, but the building across the street, man, is going to be awesome if you walk in there. Like it's going to be great space for our community. There's going to be good space to put children. I mean, we've got nice carpet. We've got way too many bathrooms. I mean, outrageous amounts of bathrooms in that space across the street. And it's going to be great because for the first time in our life in seven years as a church, you're not going to come out of the bathroom and then make eye contact with me on stage. Okay, like that's going to be great. We got a lobby. We got stairs that you walk up. I mean, it is a beautiful big green monster and I'm pumped. But none of that stuff gets me out of bed in the morning. Like none of that, just like the aesthetic of the building gets me excited. Instead, when I start to think about this building that the city of Abilene had deemed as worthless, only to be torn down and turned into a parking lot, and then for us to see life brought back to that space, for us to see a space now that feels so compelling for the community around us. I mean, even this, for us to see this space that the city had turned its back on and for the sheets to turn it into the beautiful coffee shop that it is today. These are visible, physical pictures of, of what the gospel does to human beings. They take these broken down, forgotten, deplorable people and turns them into these beautiful new creations that have totally new identities as perfected children of God. And these two redeemed spaces give us that physical picture of the gospel. And I am convinced that when Jesus gets a hold of our hearts and brings transformation to our lives, we as a people will get excited and passionate about transformation itself. Because it is a visible picture of what the gospel does to human beings. It's not just so we can have a cool space or so that we can have nice carpet and good children's space. We could have gone out to a field somewhere and like built a building to do that. Instead, to get to see this broken down building given new life. That's a picture of the gospel. And I think this phrase from Peter here gives us a glimpse of that. Jesus Christ heals you. Now get up and make your bed. <laughs> Restore even the space 
that you've been living in. And man, this got me thinking this week about the type of impact a church like the well could have in Abilene, Texas. Because, man, again, one of our early desires as a church was to be a community that the city of Abilene would miss were we to go away. And I just started thinking about this community of no offense, but nameless, ordinary people who have been totally transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and given a new identity, been saved into a new family of faith, getting passionate about transformation and bringing that gift of change and transformation even to the environments that we are in. To have a community of people that are sold out to put down roots in Abilene, Texas and in the surrounding community and to bring that gift of transformation into this space. To be people who, instead of driving around Abilene, like I know I've been guilty of a lot of times and seeing these broken down, falling down buildings, places that need paint, parts of the city that feel sketchy. And instead of us thinking somebody in this city should put some money in over there. Somebody should do something about that because it's disgusting. I feel unsafe in my car right now. Someone should fix this. Instead of us having that response up front, instead our first reaction to be, how can I bring transformation to this part of the city? How can I be the one that organizes it and we can put gardens over here and we can provide space and medical care for people in our community that maybe have a hard time getting it? Maybe I'm the one who can put a business over in this space in town that the city has forgotten. And maybe like a virus, transformation could spread to other parts around this community that we're in. See, I'm convinced that when we are changed and transformed by the gospel, we get passionate about bringing that gift of Jesus back to the communities that we're in. And so my question for us today, again, as we try to become a church that the city would literally mourn were we to go away, what part can you play in bringing that transformation back to Abilene? What part does God have you playing in bringing change back to this community? Because here's the crazy thing about change. Here's the crazy thing about physical transformation. It's when physical broken down spaces are transformed that it gets the attention of the people that are in that community and people start asking questions. And those questions lead to conversations and God can use those conversations to bring about more transformation and change of hearts in the people who are there. And so this isn't just a trivial, stupid thing. This is something that the Lord can use as a means to bring about mass transformation in the hearts of people. Because ultimately, beautiful buildings is not the goal. It's changed hearts. And what we see with Annius and Dorcas is that when the city saw the transformation of these people, it did something inside of them. It changed them from the inside out. And so my question for you is, what role does God have you playing in this? I'm convinced there's people in our church that need to run for governmental office in this community. Because you can bring about change to broken parts of our city by having that seat at that table. And so I want you to pray about that. Maybe you're the one that needs to build a business or maybe you're the one that needs to start a nonprofit that cares for the marginalized and the incarcerated and the families of the incarcerated in this community. Maybe you're the one that starts something on the weekend that's like a traveling 
a medical station to bring medical supplies and care to people in our community that can't afford it. I'm just asking you to ask that question. What role does God have you playing in bringing transformation to Abilene, Texas? And as we think about that, we've got this time that we have each week where we get to go to the communion table. And the way we do that here at the well is you take a piece of that bread that represents the body of Christ broken and take the cup that represents his blood poured out. Take it back to your seat and you get this moment because we don't get many quiet moments in life where we are today. But you get this moment to sit at your seat and to engage the Lord and to ask him to speak to you and to direct your heart and to ask him about what role and what place you get to play in bringing the gifts of the bridegroom and transformation back to Abilene, Texas. Okay, I'm going to pray for us and Jake will continue to lead us in worship this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your grace this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to see ourselves in these two transformed people, Ananias and Dorcas. That in reality, they are our spiritual state that because of our sin, because of our trespasses, we were those that the world had forgotten, that had been cast off, that were unusable and broken beyond repair. But what the gospel does to human beings spiritually is that we're told that you take that which is dead and you give it life through Christ. You take that which is completely ruined beyond any level of usability and you make us perfect in Christ. Lord, this morning I pray that that truth for what has happened to our hearts would compel us and drive us to be passionate about transformation in the community we live. And I pray that we would be able to look up years from now and see that Abilene, Texas would be a very different place because the well was housed here because you brought us to Abilene. God, would you give the people in this room passion and vision for the places that you have them engaging broken areas of this community? I pray that we would be a people that are passionate about transforming broken parts of the place that we live. Lord, and in that, I pray that like Aeneas and like Dorcas, and Lida and Joppa, that we would get to see a mass revival, a people changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ, a people who have witnessed transformation and the Spirit uses that in some way to transform them as well. God, I pray that many, many would come to faith in Jesus in the next number of years, number of decades. God, would you use us as you see fit? It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.